Amen. From the book of Psalms, the first Psalm. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. In fact, why don't we just read it together? Wouldn't that be beautiful to every one of us read the word of the Lord together? Amen. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Let's all read together. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I would like to concentrate your attention on verses 4 and 5. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. By the leading of the Lord and by the help of the Holy Ghost, I would like to preach to you on this subject, the wind and the sinner. The wind and the sinner. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Again, Lord, we give you praise tonight. We worship your holy name. Be exalted in this house. Be exalted above every circumstance that respective individuals and families may be facing. Lord, let your word be magnified even above your name, even as we preach. In Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you for these things in the name of the Lord. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. It feels so good in the house of God this morning. Such a beautiful presence of the Lord has filled this place, and we welcome you. Let's give all of our guests a great big hand. We're delighted that you're here. Amen. We are so thankful to have you with us this morning. Sin is still the problem. It was and continues to be the challenge that confronts humanity, that led humanity astray off of the path that God had intended for man and woman. And so we're dealing with that today, and never can the pulpit be a place where sin is not fought. Never can the pulpit be a place where sin is not contended with, dealt with. There must also always be a place in the pulpit for the preacher of righteousness to preach righteousness and thus preach against sin. We're living in a day in which sin is becoming uh, prevalent, more and more prevalent in society. Uh, people are fulfilling the scriptures. The scriptures foretold of these days. 
when sin would grip people like a vice and they would become its slaves and servants to do its bidding, their bodies would literally become enslaved by the whims of sin. Sin is an awful, awful thing. It is a creator of confusion, a creator of chaos. And sin is no stranger to any one of us because all of us have sinned. And therefore, all of us come short of the glory of God. As I preach, I believe you will hear and feel the love of God in the preaching of the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, we must preach against sin and unrighteousness. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young man by the name of Timothy, warning him, along with every other preacher who would step onto the scene, that there is a day coming in the latter times where people will give heed to seducing spirits, give heed to doctrines of devils, and these People will end up speaking lies in hypocrisy and they'll have their conscience seared with a hot iron. They, they'll know they're lying and won't care that they're lying because their conscience has been ignored and neglected for so long. All of the warnings and all of the red flags and all of the, all of the defiant messages from their conscience went neglected. And now they don't care. It's seared with a hot iron and their conscience has no more effect on them. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul again in a second letter to Timothy warns him once more of this that is coming. He said in verse 1, this know also of chapter 3, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. They will be without natural affection. They will be truce breakers. They will be false accusers. They will be incontinent and they will be fierce. They will be despisers of those that are good. They will be traitors. They will be heady, high-minded. They will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. you got to be careful because even in this condition, in verse 5, they'll have a form of godliness. But they will deny the power of godliness. And from such you should turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses, and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning. Well, there's no shortage of learning. There's no stoppage of educational 
achievement, ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's where we're living. These are the latter days Paul was talking about. These are the latter times that Paul was warning Timothy about. A day in which sin is called good. Evil is called good. And good is called evil. A day in which people defiantly reject God. And they recreate him in their minds. Trying to create the creator. They don't want to accept him as he is but want to redefine him. And they'll use these scriptures and distort them if they have to. But even if they can't distort the scriptures, they'll just do away with the scriptures altogether and try to go it alone in their recreation of a God that will end up not even existing. God is simply God. He changes not. His nature is perfect. His nature is entire. Now the Bible teaches us that sin, the definition of sin, is a transgression of God's law. That's what sin is. Sin isn't what you uh, least prefer. Or sin isn't what gets on your nerves. Sin isn't what conflicts with your preference. Some people have pet peeves so bad they'll just call it a sin so they don't have to deal with it. But, but the Bible says that sin is a transgression of God's law. And so when, when you commit sin, you are transgressing God's law and you are bringing confusion into your life. Not only are you bringing confusion into your life, you're bringing violence into your life. You're bringing chaos into your life. You're bring, bringing corruption and death into your life. You and I, if we are honest, can point to the times in our life where we engaged in sin and that's what caused our problems. And it's inherent in sin. God doesn't even have to judge you. Sin will bring the punishment. The wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible teaches us. And we're living in a world that, that does not believe that. And if a preacher gets up and says that, then they will libel him, label him or her, and say that they are some kind of an old-fashioned Voice that no longer is relevant to this society, but doesn't matter because the wages of sin are still death. And they're getting checks in the mail and don't know where they're coming from because the wages of sin is still death. Confusion is still being made out to their name. And you can take that to the bank. Chaos, hardship is coming in rapid succession. And all the while, they are defying God and denying God. You cannot commit sin and expect to have harmony in your life. You can't commit sin and expect to have harmony in your mind. 
Your mind will be tormented by the sin that you commit. And your home will be tormented by the sin you commit. Your marriage will be tormented by the sin you commit. Your relationships with others will be tormented by the sin you commit. And none of that is God. All of that is the sin itself. It is insidious. It is full of devil's influence. It is a doctrine of devils. So I do not preach with with uh, hate in my heart but I must stand up and tell you that there is a there is a life of absolute condemnation and death that is involved with sin sin is a transgression of God's law another way of saying that would be to say that sin is a deviation from God's nature let's take the sin of lying for instance the sin of lying is a sin that is so completely against God's nature. God cannot lie. You must understand that. It is impossible for God to lie. Every word that proceeds out of his mouth is absolute truth. This is why if you tell a lie, you're going to cause some problems. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. You know that it's a problem when it comes out of your mouth. And if you didn't have unrighteousness in your heart, you wouldn't have felt the need to lie in the first place. So you've done something you don't want to be truthful about, so you tell a lie. Then you find out you got to tell another lie to cover up the lie you just told. Then you find out you got to tell another lie and another lie. And before long, you're a liar. And your family doesn't trust you. And your friends don't trust you. And your boss has fired you. And you don't know where it went wrong. You got this wage of sin coming your way. Because you wouldn't listen to the word of God that told you. The wages of sin is death. So it's not... It's not, it's not God being mean, saying don't lie. It's God being true. And when you are untrue, you are deviating from his nature. So now you are doing something unnatural, and it's creating unnatural consequences because you were made in the image of God. You were made to be truthful. You were made to be pure. You were made to be holy. This is why marriage is between a man and a woman. And this is why intimate relationships are not to take place before marriage. And they're not supposed to take place extra marital. Because God has one wife. And that's his bride. And our marriage relationship reflects Christ and the bride. And when you are engaging in some kind of a fornication before marriage, that's not a proper reflection of God. And if you're engaging in some kind of adultery outside of marriage, that's not a proper reflection of God. And if you're engaging in a homosexual relationship that's not between a, a man, it must marriage is between a man and a woman. And when you try to change that, you've deviated from the nature of God. And so you're causing chaos in your life. This isn't meanness. This is truth. And I'll tell you what. 
This certainly isn't hate speech. This is love speech. Sin is your problem. I'm trying to help you. And so I don't, I don't come to you as some judgmental preacher sitting on some pedestal. God forbid, because I've sinned and I come short of the glory of God. If it weren't for the blood of Jesus, I'd have no ability to stand before you today. If it weren't for the grace of God, I'd have no ability to stand before you today. So, so marriage is a reflection of God. One man... One woman in holy matrimony. That's a reflection of God's nature. Amen. To deviate from that nature will undoubtedly cause confusion in your world and send you into a spiral you won't be able to control because the wages of sin is death. Even envy. Envy is against the nature of God. Somebody said, well, but the Bible says the Lord is a jealous God. Yes, a jealous God, but not an envious God. Envy is when you want something someone else has. God doesn't want anything you have. God, God, that's not what jealousy means. Jealousy is God saying, really? Here I am, altogether lovely, all in all, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, omnibenevolent, the great I am, the almighty, the one who was and is and is to come, the almighty. And when you get in trouble, you're going to look to that. That's when God gets jealous. He doesn't want what you've got. He wants to give you what he's got. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, so this, this matter of, of envy is against the nature of God. It'll cause confusion in your life. You'll live without contentment and you'll live without peace because you're always looking around at everybody else wanting what they've got, wishing you had this, wishing you had that. But the nature of God is contentment in Him. Hallelujah. And so, so when I come to you today, I come to you today in the spirit of helping you in the name of the Lord through the word of the Lord to overcome the sin that is in your life. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin is the transgression of the law and you know that he was manifested this is Jesus to take away our sins and in him is no sin. See, he didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. He didn't come to put the world on a guilt trip. That's why we have to resist religious pride. And we have to resist a religious presentation. Because we're not here to put folks on a guilt trip. We're not here to offer condemnation. People are already condemned. And they already feel guilty. And they already know many times that they are guilty. What we're here to do is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel has power over sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. You need to stop letting this world deceive you. 
You need to stop letting the philosophies of this world deceive you. Well, everybody's doing it. Let no man deceive you. I don't care if everybody's doing it. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he, Jesus, is righteous. He that committeth sin. Now listen to this. I know we're living in a world where even the, even the pulpits have given way for people to just sin, sin, sin. And it just isn't a problem in 2017. But notice what verse 8 said. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, listen, the Son of God was manifested. That word devil is related to the word deviate. When you deviate from the nature of God, that's why we call him the devil. He is a deviant. He has deviated from the nature of God. And he has made himself opposite of God. When you deviate from the nature of God, you take up alliance with the devil. That's why whosoever committeth sin is of the devil. Because the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. He wasn't manifested for the purpose of becoming one of the great sages of the ages. He wasn't manifested for the purpose of making the front cover of Time magazine. He wasn't manifested for the purpose even so everybody would just, would just fawn over him. He was manifested for the purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh so that we could have victory over the works of the devil. That's what I've come to preach to you today. I've come to preach to you today that sin is evil, that sin is the problem, that sin is causing the confusion in your home. Sin is causing the confusion in your body. Sin is causing the confusion in your relationships. Sin is why you're depressed. Sin is why you don't feel any joy. Sin is why you don't think you can make it another day. Sin is why there is a, there is a line of problems in your family. Sin is the reason that when you wake up in the morning, you can't seem to get yourself together. Sin is the reason that you're crying yourself to sleep at night. There's a sin problem in your world. There's a sin problem in your mind. There's a sin problem in your circumstances. And until you are willing to let God deal with the sin problem in your life it will continue to be the primary issue hallelujah listen to what the word of God says Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind verse 18 listen to this having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God that's what sin does to us it alienates us from the life of God why wouldn't a preacher preach against sin come on somebody you better hope your preacher will preach against sin 
My God have mercy. Why wouldn't a preacher stand up and say, there's something alienating you from the life of God. Let me be clear what life I'm talking about. The thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus is come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Oh God. God give us preachers that will stand up in this latter time. God give us a revival in the pulpits of America that will open up their mouth, cry loud, spare God, preach the word without fear or favor. And say, thus saith the Lord, repent and prepare ye the way of the Lord. Hallelujah. My God, have mercy. You hear what I'm preaching? Repent. Repent. If you don't hear another thing I say, hear this. Repent. If you never shout again, hear this. Repent. If you never dance again, you hear this. Repent. Come on, somebody. I don't know what you're up against, but I can give you the solution. Repent. Repent from evil works. Repent from sinful works. Repent. Repent from religious philosophies that are anti-God and anti-Christ. Repent from traditions that have you bound. Repent from sinful habits. Repent from it in Jesus' name. He said in verse 18, you have your understanding darkened. This is why we do not try to reach a sinner through hate, but through love. Because when we are in sin, our understanding is darkened. We can't, we can't see the forest for the trees. Our understanding is darkened. Notice, being alienated from the life of God. Listen, through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. Those are big, big problems. Understanding is darkened. Therefore, they're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, and there is blindness in their hearts. I love the beautiful song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, because there are so many times our eyes are blinded in our hearts. Verse 19, they are past feeling. They have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. That is extreme forms of lusts of the flesh. And lusts of the eyes. And they have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. And they work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him. And have been taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation. The old man which is corrupt according to the, listen to this term, deceitful lust. Folks, that's a problem. Because not only are these lusts, which means it's something that your body wants, something your body craves, something that your spirit has attached itself to, but not only is it a lust like that, but it's deceitful. It will literally convince your body you need this. It will convince your body and your mind you were born this way. 
Can I preach to somebody in 2017? It will literally, it's a deceitful lust. And it will try to convince your spirit and try to convince your mind that you need to engage in a lust of the flesh or a lust of the eyes or in a pride of life. And you will run greedily after the love of money. You will run greedily after drunkenness. You will run greedily after intoxication. You will run greedily after Sinful relationships are not of God because it's a deceitful lust. And you're ignorant and your understanding is darkened and there's blindness of your heart. Verse 23 said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. When I preach to you about Jesus... I'm not just talking to you about a babe in a manger. When I preach to you about Jesus, I'm not just talking to you about this wise man who spoke profound words on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not talking to you about some kind of a religious leader or just another one of many religions to choose from. When I preach to you Jesus, I preach to you Jehovah salvation. For his name shall be called Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. My God, what a Savior. I said, my God, what a Savior. He came to save me from my deceitful lust. He came to save me from the blindness of my heart. He came to save me from my ignorance. He came to save me. And I know I, even as I'm preaching, even I can feel it. I can feel it in the spirit. Even as I'm preaching, I know the devil's sitting on somebody's shoulder saying, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't even relevant in 2017. This isn't even something that should be coming across the pulpit in 2017. Times have changed, preacher. You need to get with it. I'm preaching to you under the unction of the Holy Ghost. And that thing whispering in your ear is a devil from hell. And you need to hear the word of the Lord and be free. Know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He whom the Son makes free is free indeed. Come on, in the name of Jesus, through the power of the word and through the power of the Holy Ghost, we wage war on sin. We wage war on sin because sin is trying to drag your soul into hell. And if you're going to go to hell, you're going to have to climb over us. You're going to have to climb over every sermon. You're going to have to climb over every Bible study. You're going to have to climb over every prayer. You're going to have to climb over every worship experience. If you're going to go to hell, you got to fight on your hands because we're going to preach it and teach it and believe it. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I feel the chains breaking right now. I said, I feel the chains breaking right now. I feel like somebody's being delivered right now. I feel like somebody is being lifted up out of the grip of sin right now. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. He said, I came to give you life. Now notice what Psalm 1 says. 
Psalm 1 said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's who I want to be. That's how I want to live. That's who I want. That's the kind of dad I want to be. That's the kind of husband I want to be. That's the kind of preacher I want to be. take this whole world but give me Jesus hallelujah but that's the blessed man that's the righteous man and, and, and make no mistake I can't do this with my righteousness I can't do this with my abilities don't ever misunderstand I'm not here because I had a silver spoon of truth in my mouth. You need to know that. I had a dad who was a preacher, a grandpa who was a preacher, a great-grandpa who was a preacher, uncles and cousins. And I, at one time, we had 33 living preachers in our family at the same time. And yes, that's where I come from. But you got to know that the devil loves to take what God means as a blessing and try to turn it into something distorted. He would love to try to make me arrogant or prideful. He would love to try to make me think that I've done this or that this was handed to me by some man. That this was handed to me. It's just a tradition in our family. It's just another thing. I do it because dad did it. He'd love to make me take the truth for granted. He'd love to make me take holiness for granted. He'd love to make me take Jesus' name for granted. He would love to make me think and get caught up in a religious way of thinking. But in the name of Jesus, I can tell you Jesus brought me out Jesus lifted me up Jesus saved myself his blood his blood washed over me I found him for myself I found him for myself My dad didn't fill me with the Holy Ghost. My grandfather didn't fill me with the Holy Ghost. But Jesus filled me with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Psalm 1, verse 4 takes this turn, this sad turn. We have this picture of this man who's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We have this picture of a man who has his delight in the law of the Lord and who's, who meditates day and night on the beautiful law of God. And then we take this turn in verse 4 and says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind, the wind, the wind, the wind, the wind, driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The wind. Oh, God, give us the wind. There are so many scriptural references to the wind. 
The Bible is clear that the wind blows where it lists, where it wants to. And you can hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. When Moses stood at the Red Sea, he stretched his rod out over the water. And the Bible says that a mighty east wind blew upon the water and drove that water back and stood it up on as an heap. And the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. The prophet Ezekiel was bought, brought by vision to a valley of dry bones. And the Lord said to him concerning these bones that were strewn about the valley, Can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, Thou knowest, Lord. And the Lord said, Then prophesy to these bones. And when Ezekiel prophesied to the bones, there was a shaking. There was a shaking. And the bones began to come together, bone to bone. The bo they didn't just all get to the nearest bone. But, but, but the bones that belonged to other bones would travel over other bones and get to that bone. Because God was putting the bones back together. And then he said, can these bones live even though they've stood up? Are they going to be able to breathe? And Ezekiel said, Lord, you know. And the Lord said, prophesy to the wind. And Ezekiel began to prophesy to all four winds. Hallelujah. Breathe, Holy Ghost. Breathe, Holy Ghost. And when the wind came in, the wind filled those dry bones that were standing up as an army, but lifeless and just like skeletons. But when the wind of God came into them, it revived them. And the bones began to live again. The breath of life, the same breath of life that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam when he formed him from the dust of the ground, breathed into those bones and brought them back and when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wind, wind, wind. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says that the wind will blow upon the ungodly and, they, and that the ungodliness will be driven away by the power of the wind. When the wind starts blowing, that's when sin has to move. Sin has to get out of the picture. See, one of the, one of the uh, scriptural references to wind has to do with the process of threshing and winnowing. And so to thresh wheat the farmer would, the wheat farmer would take the wheat to a threshing floor. The threshing floor was at a high point in the mountain. It was like on a pinnacle of a mountain. And he would take his oxen up to that pinnacle of a mountain and he would lay the stalks of wheat out onto the threshing floor. And he would move those oxen back and forth across the stalks of wheat. And those powerful animals would pound their feet on the stalks of wheat and it would loosen the grain from the chaff. 
It would loosen the grain from the chaff. That's what I'm doing right now when I'm preaching the word of God and it was kind of uncomfortable for 35 minutes. I was trying to loose the grain from the chaff. I was trying to break up. Because whether you know it or not, you've gotten comfortable with your sin. You've gotten comfortable with your pride. You've gotten comfortable with your lust. You've gotten comfortable with your habit. You need the word of God to come. Break up the fallow ground. Break the grain from the chaff. And it doesn't feel good, I know. You should try to be the one to preach it. You should try being the one that all eyes are on. But you got to pound that weed anyway. Step on it. Step on toes and pound the stalks. You got to do it because the chaff will prevent the wheat from being harvested. It's, it's not good wheat when it has chaff. And so he would pound on that wheat with the oxen. And the stalks would be hit, pummeled until, until they were loose. And the chaff was loose, but the chaff was still on it. Because the pounding of the oxen hoof alone can't drive away the chaff. you got to have the wind. And this is why the threshing floor is at the height of the mountain. Because that's where the breezes blow. Hallelujah. The wheat farmer would take the wheat then, the grain that came off, and the chaff is still on it. He would, he would take that grain and he'll throw it into the air. This is the process of winnowing. When he throws that wheat into the air, that heavy wind from off the ocean reaches those high points of the mountain and that wind blows against the grain. Hallelujah. That's what we talk about when we say going against the grain. It goes against the grain. But the grain, the good stuff, is heavy enough to withstand the wind. So when the grain feels the wind, it feels the wind, but it falls back down to where it's supposed to be. But the chaff can't handle the wind so when the wind blows against the grain the chaff loses its hold on the grain and blows out never to be seen again never to be heard from again that's what we do when we praise him that's what we do when we worship him that's what we do That's what we do when we get into his presence and our attitude is wrong and our spirit's bad and we're not treating people right and we're about to make a bad decision. We say, Holy Ghost, breathe on me and knock the chaff off of me. There's ignorance in me. There's blindness in my heart. There are deceitful lusts warring for my soul. I can't tell what's right and wrong right now. So I'm going to open the word. Stomp on my spirit and lift me up into the heavenly wind. The wind will drive away the chaff. The wind 
will drive away the sin. That's why we got to keep on praying, First Apostolic Church. I said, that's why we got to keep on praying. That's why we got to keep on praying. I'm going to say it again. That's why we got to keep on praying. Hallelujah. You say, it's just an hour of prayer. What is that going to do? That one hour of prayer will do more in eternity than what you can even begin to fathom. It creates a movement of the wind. Hallelujah. It's like a wind turbine. It creates a, it creates a movement of the wind. It's like turning a fan on full blast when you start to pray. I can preach the word. I can preach the word. But if I'm not praying over the word, if we're not praying over the word, then it's just like breaking up the stalk but never releasing the grain into the winds. Love, winds of God. Breathe, Holy Ghost. Breathe, Holy Ghost. Breathe, Holy Ghost. See, you can't do this on your own. You can't take care of this sin in your own spirit. You need to know that. You say, well, I think I can because, you know, if I just repent and really decide... That I'm not going to do it anymore. Let's take that, let's take that sin of, uh, of lust again. Let's take that sin of lust, for example. You decide you're never going to be involved with the lust of the eyes. And so you do what you need to do to make sure you're not involved with the lust of the eyes. God bless you for that. You cut yourself off from certain groups that you don't need to be running around with. And you cut yourself off from folks who aren't going to have a godly influence on your life. And you're trying to take care of the lust problem. Listen, there's only so much you can do with sin. If you do that and you, and you successfully uh, separate yourself and successfully handle it and deal with it as best you can, what you may do is overcome a sinful behavior. But what you cannot do is overcome a sinful nature. So it's like a balloon. You, you, you actually, you, you squeeze one end so that, you don't, so that you don't deal with this problem. But all you're doing is reappropriating the air to the other end of the balloon. So this end magnifies when this end is compressed. That's what people do when they overcome sin through their human willpower. All they've done is compress this particular behavior. But this sin has magnified or increased. In other words, when you overcome lust merely by your own willpower because you've decided and you've made certain decisions and you've cut out certain things, God bless you for that. But that only takes care of the sinful behavior. You've only reappropriated the sin to another part of your life. So now you're a little more proud than you used to be. And because you did it, you get the glory. As a matter of fact, God doesn't even want the glory for stuff you did. You try to praise God for the stuff you did. He's like, don't praise me. I didn't do it. That was all you. You didn't trust me for your power. You didn't call on me for your help. And when you did it, you get the glory. And you also feel licensed to look down your nose at everybody else who's not doing it like you did it. But when you let God eradicate the sin from your life and you repent at an old-fashioned altar, baptized in his precious name, filled with his Holy Spirit, you don't just reappropriate the wind from one end of the balloon to the other end of the balloon. You pop the balloon.
wants to give you the victory over your sins. The Philistines were in the scriptures like a type of sin. They were the constant problem to Israel. Israel would win one battle and up they'd come for the next battle. One battle after another. One Philistine after another. Sometimes they were great big Philistines like Goliath. Other times they were a multiplicity of Philistines like the garrisons. But Philistine after Philistine. Isn't that the way it is with sin? You overcome one thing and then something else comes up. You get the victory over this and then the next thing you know you're wrestling with this. You're struggling with that. So the Philistines are a lot like the sin. Sins. 2 Samuel chapter 5. David had just been anointed king or just taken his throne rather. He was anointed years earlier. He just took his throne. And the first battle that came his way, you guessed it, the Philistines. He went to God and said, Lord, should I go up to fight with these Philistines? Will you give me the victory? And God said, go, for I have given you the victory. He went forth and he fought with the Philistines and he overcame them, won the battle. You know what the Philistines did? They reassembled, gathered themselves together, came at him again, just like your sin does. When you overcome it on Monday, by Thursday, you're already wrestling with something completely different. There's a totally different devil with a different name, and you've got to figure out what to do with this one. So David, David says, God, I'm, I'm back in the same situation. The Philistines, are, they've reassembled. They've got stronger weapons, and they've, they've come at me another time. I mean, this is just a couple verses later. And he says, so what do you want me to do? Should I go up? And God said, no, not yet. Don't go until you hear the sound of the going in the mulberry trees. You go up by the mulberry tree and hang out by the mulberry tree and just wait for me and I will go before you and you'll know I'm passing by when the mulberry trees start blowing in the wind. Some of you are fighting your battles on your own. Some of you are trying to overcome sin on your own. Some of you are trying to deal with the confusion in your life on your own. And God brought you to 6477 Cooper Road on this Sunday morning to let you know, I came to destroy the works of the devil. I came to save my people from their sin. Be baptized in my name and I'll wash your sins away. I hear the sound of a going. I hear the sound of a going. I hear the sound of a going in the mulberry trees. I hear God in this place. Oh, somebody lift up your hands unto the Lord. Somebody lift up your hands unto the Lord. Come on, somebody cry out to him in this house. Somebody cry out to God in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody cry out to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. Pastor, you don't know what all I've done, where all I've been. I don't know if I can ever overcome 
what I need to overcome. It has had a hold on me all my life. It's had a hold on me these many years. I don't know if there's a power strong enough to deliver me. I guarantee you there's a power. And it's in this house. Now, it's not your power. And it's not your might. It's his spirit. Saith the Lord. And he's got a wind strong enough. Sometimes it can be a gentle little breeze. But some of you, I know, some of you need a tornado to come through. I know, I know. That's all right. He can bring a tornado through, rip everything up, tear everything down. How many just want God to do what he needs to do to save your soul? Hallelujah. I wish I could get a witness in the house of God this morning. Somebody that just wants God to do what he needs to do to save my soul. Let's stand to our feet all across this house today in the presence of the Lord. Now, I know I preached. I preached. I'm a Pentecostal preacher, so I, I preached a pretty good amount of time. And, and we've come to this little part of the service that we call the altar call. And it's so easy to let it pass by. So easy. In fact, sometimes you think, you know, if I wait just five more minutes, it'll be over and I can go. And nobody will think a thing of it. But I wonder if you want to get to that high point on the mountain. It's different. You don't have to climb any stairs to get to this altar. But if you come to this front, it's, it's kind of like going to the high point on the mountain where the heavenly breezes blow. And you take this grain that the Word of God has separated from the stalk. And you let it fly into the heavens. And you say, heavenly winds of God, breathe on my soul. Breathe on my family. Breathe on my spirit. Breathe in my mind. Separate the chaff from the wheat. God come on that's it I feel the Holy Ghost in this house is there somebody in this place that will be honest and come forward and say God I need the sin taken care of in my life don't be afraid don't be afraid just come on and let the Lord work on your spirit God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. I need some prayer warriors to come help me pray. There are people coming right now. That's it. I need you to come help me pray right now. In the name of Jesus. Yesterday. Today I'm in need. Today I'm in need. Holy Ghost powers. Holy Ghost
Sunday.